0: got to go quickly.
1: It's a draw. It's a draw. And then she gets it back. Oh, are you kidding me? And the Sunshine Coast Lightning have achieved the unthinkable.
2: Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Inner Circle podcast. Sherelle McMahon and Bianca Chatfield with you for another week and and it has been a great week uh, that we've come off the back of B and only one round to go in this Suncorp Super Netball season before we head into finals. And one of the talking points from this weekend was the few, the spate, really, of significant knee injuries that happened.
1: Yeah, there was. You know, Kelsey Brown, Sasha Glasgow and Emma Rye. We know two confirmed ACLs so far. We're not sure the extent of Emma Rye's injury, but, oh, God, wasn't that horrific to watch and to see and – uh, yeah, I think we really need to dig deeper into this, mm. the seriousness of an ACL injury, uh, and I, th- I think it's really important that it's not just us talking about it, that we actually go to the experts and a player, and we're lucky to have Maddie Proud on, who will give us an insight into actually what she's going through, like how she's feeling, how it's been for her mentally and physically.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and we'll also have Steve Hawkins on the line who is well, has had a long time and a long... Um, Experience in netball. So he will also join us. He's currently the head physio of the Melbourne Vixens Netball Club. So he'll give us some insight into the prevalence yeah. of knee injuries. Is it getting worse? We
1: had a lot of questions on Twitter actually yes. about that. So we'll try and cover off as much of those questions as we can. Um, but Sherelle, round 13, I think, was one of my favourites of was the it? season so far. Was it? Because got you excited. there were some absolute cracking games. I mean, firstly, we have to mention Firebirds got their first win oh, of the season (laughs) against the Fever. Over in Perth, they probably did it the hard way, but they
2: finally got
1: there before this season finishes.
2: And Courtney um, Bruce obviously not in that lineup, and she'll miss again with the respiratory issue. Um, And perhaps that freed up their circle a bit, I'm not sure, but Gretel Tippett, uh, a Nissan net points record of 135 Mm. points, shooting 30 from 30. She is... In a team that hasn't won, that's their first win of the season, she has been a real shining light for that Firebirds team.
1: Oh, and I remember a few years ago we were really worried about Tibbetts' accuracy at the yes, post, whereas yes. now she's consistently shooting in the high 90s, 100%. She's con- she has right. on a
2: number of occasions shot yeah. 100% in Which the game. Which is fantastic. It she's is.
1: really obviously worked on that part of the game and then she's such a strong presence out there as a goal attack. Uh, and, you know, we saw Ramel Aitken at goalkeeper. We saw Bot- <laughs> Pot Gita get the start in goal shooter. Like, it's just great the Firebirds are finding those options and giving them a go. Another cracking game, I think, was the Magpies taking on the Swiss. Down yes. in Tassie, we have not seen that form from the Magpies all year. No. It's been, you know, we know that they've been very inconsistent. I rode them off and said, I don't think they're going to make the top four. I'm going to eat my words because I feel like they've got every chance now of making that top four if they play, uh, you know, as what they did like against the Swifts. And unfortunately for your Vixens, (laughs) you guys play them this weekend when they are in that great form.
2: Well, not unfortunately. Um, I wouldn't use that word, Bianca. I think (laughs) um, heading into a final series, I think it's great to have some really – tough competition and there's no doubt that that's what the Magpies will bring because they did um, find some super form and I think the move from wing defence to centre from Ash Brazel, oh. she's on the back of two MVP for performances in that position and that has been a masterstroke and has worked really well for them. The Diamonds cannot overlook Ash Brazel. Well we'll be actually that's another thing in the next few weeks we'll be waiting to hear about the new squad selection for the Diamonds so we'll see certainly what happens there but they were uh, and super form. Sh- before we move on and what happened to your girls?
1: Because <laughs> that game, that first half against the Lightning, the Vixens were on fire. I was mm. sitting there courtside, loved it. Like, everything you were doing was working. Get into that second half and you just feel felt the momentum change. And even though Lightning, it was just like they consistently were doing the same thing, but it just gradually started to work for them in that last half.
2: Yeah, and those momentum swings, uh, you know, we've been seeing them all season from all different teams and there's no doubt the Lightning um, – you know, they've they've shown it over the last couple of years with winning those premierships um, that, that they are an incredibly strong team and they did keep just chipping away at us. Mm. And unfortunately, um, it was only a one-goal loss, but it's clearly disappointing to be up by 10 and then to let that lead slip. So, look, I think from a Vixens' perspective perspective, um, there's some lessons being learnt in these last couple of rounds leading into finals. And so I think the challenge is to put all that out there together um, and stick with what, as you say, what was working in that first half. And now, obviously, the Lightning made it challenging to do that yeah, because of, of the, the defensive pressure and how they were bringing the ball through court. But um, a disappointing win, but we've locked away uh, third position now. Yes. So. You know, for us, um, the game um, is just there ahead of us. So uh, we can't move up or down, obviously, against the Magpies. Mm -hmm. Um, They will be fighting for that final position. So it'll be exciting. And I just did want to make a point of that because it's been announced this week that that um, second semi final will actually be held at the state netball centre and not mm. at one of the major venues that we've seen the v- vixens at. My last game with the Melbourne Vixens was actually the last time they played at that stadium. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so this,
1: so just to give everyone who's not from Melbourne an idea, Melbourne Arena at its max can hold about ten thousand. Yep. Uh, and then the state netball centre, I think, is three thousand two hundred mm. capacity. Yep. So. If it is a Magpies Vixens semi-final, that is a huge loss to Melbourne fans to not be able to go and pack a stadium out. And apparently, Rod Laver Arena, Melbourne Arena, have all been Margaret Court, Margaret Court Arena. We've blessed to have so many stadiums here, have all been booked out for esports.
2: Esports, can you believe that? Can you they believe it? We no
1: longer have those stadiums available to us. So unfortunately, it's going to be at the State Netball Centre, but. You know what it is a good court to play on we've yeah. played many times on that court and yes. unfortunate for the fans but I'm sure the players will just want to get out there and well, no they will
2: what. and I mean it's just another netball court isn't it the Vixens uh, train there a couple of times a week so it's certainly a familiar venue for them um, but I think it is an important note to make because you know I saw some Commentary on social media is about what? Why did they make that decision? Well, in some ways, um, well, actually, they were forced to make that decision because it was a a previous booking that um, didn't enable Netball Australia to make that booking for the final. Well, you know what? America are playing
1: Australia in the basketball yes. at Marvel Stadium, which holds about fifty thousand, probably more with seats on the actual ground. If they've got a court set up for that this weekend, why not just it keep it set up <laughs> for the following weekend? How many does that say? about fifty thousand? Oh, be wow, the over go. fifty. I say, let's go there. That'd be exciting. On, and the,
2: o- <laughs> the other game in round three, of course, a thirteen. Sorry, was of course the Giants. Um, giving the, the T-Birds a real run for it, 14-goal win in the end. So the Giants really keeping their final four spot alive. That They hold that position now. Um, so they take on the Fever at home next week. So that'll be a big game for them, no doubt. Um, and as we've mentioned, the the Vixens and the Magpies will be the other yes. uh, game that determines that fourth position. Um, and we've got the Lightning taking on the th- Thunderbirds and the Swiss taking on the Firebirds both the Swiss and the the Lightning will be at home so you know a nice um, potentially a nice run home for them although um, the Thunderbirds and the Firebirds are certainly by no means an easy beat so it'll be a challenging game for them as well.
1: It sure is. Now before we get into our ACL chats You and I, fortunately, are not part of the ACL club. We managed to get through our whole elite careers without doing an ACL, which in some ways surprises me because it feels like you just at some stage do it. Um, But. I was fortunate to not really have an injury that kept me out of the game for 12 months. I had lots of niggling things and, you know, that would keep me out over pre-season, etc. as you got a little bit more experienced. as I got older. <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you because you did your Achilles and mm. that kept you out of the game for 12 months. Uh, I wanted to get an understanding and a bit of an insight into probably mentally the challenges that you went through because... I remember that game when you did your Achilles, and you straight away looked at me and thought Claire McMinimum had kicked you in the back of the leg. And <laughs> Don't
2: repeat what I said <laughs> yeah. as I was under the court,
1: and actually she was nowhere near you. Oh, no, no. Um, but right. I remember, and I think we've spoken about it briefly before. After the game, you were in the medical room. All the girls, you know, we were so used to having you out on the court. We, you were our co-captain and we put, you know, you were in the medical room. All the girls went into the change room and people just didn't know how to react. It was like someone had died. Like yeah. that's how it all felt. And so it has a huge impact it on a team when you lose players, especially experienced players. Um, but then you went off and had your surgery and then you come back to training and you don't know where you fit in, mm. I imagine. Like, how did you deal with all of that? Yeah,
2: and add to that that it was three months out from um, a World Cup as well. So there was many, many emotions running through me personally and certainly the team. And mm. I'll never forget Chelsea Nash. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, said to me afterwards, she's like, you know, I was driving along and that there were times where I had to pull over because I would just be crying. Yeah. And so, and this is the impact that it can have on a team, these sort of things. Um, I decided to have a baby at the same time. <laughs> so yeah. that was probably a different uh, path that many of our athletes will be going down. But, um, you know, that... The feeling of, of having that long stretch of rehab ahead of you is really challenging and it can be quite isolating at times because you, you just simply can't join in with what the rest of the group are doing because you um, have got your own rehab programs to work through um, and you can't be out there. So that for me was the biggest challenge, that feeling of, you know, my role in the team it was very clear and then suddenly that's chopped and um, it's very, very different. So that was one of the real challenges for me. Um, Did you feel
1: an expectation or is there an expectation to still attend all the training sessions with the team plus then you have to do your own rehab on top
2: of it? Well, no, I didn't. And I was I was in um, the gym pretty much every day and I was very lucky and this is the difference with elite sports uh, athletes is that I had a one-on-one Uh, rehab uh, a trainer Mm. that worked with me every day pretty much so I was in that respect really lucky that I had someone talking me through each day what I was doing what the next step was what I needed to adjust I literally had to learn how to walk again Mm. Um, so it's um, yeah I I guess that part of it um, was significant and now when I was going through it we did come back in I did come back into the training sessions but it was you know I was on crutches for quite a long time with an Achilles so it's you know you you can't be uh, involved in that same way at all really so mm. it's you know, I think finding finding that role, and, and I think this applies to any level that you play sport, finding that role and keeping connected um, can be a, a significant player in how you recover.
1: Absolutely, and I've been really loving seeing Maddie Proud uh, sit yes. on the bench and act. I don't know if she's acting as a coach <laughs> or whether she's just there as a support person, but I've really loved how the Swift Swiss have kept her involved. She's travelling with the team. She's around. She's always there with the girls, and I'm sure that must be helpful to
2: her yeah no doubt and I'm looking forward to chatting through her experiences you mentioned that coaching role particularly for the Swifts and we've seen uh, Bryony Akel made um, a major announcement that she has re-signed for a couple of years with the Swifts along with Anita Keelan her assistant coach There, and why wouldn't you yes, she has got got to those... reward
1: both <laughs> of them for what they've done yeah
2: she's certainly got those Swifts kind of ticking along really well and this significant announcement that we we're all kind of waiting with bated breath um, perhaps for some, me included, not too surprising that Nolene Tadua has decided to leave the Sunshine Coast Lightning. This will be her final season. She'll take the reins of Netball New Zealand for the next little period of time, but she's just keeping them hanging for a little bit. She's not (laughs) going to commit long term. Is that a good move
1: for her? I think it's a great move by her. (laughs) I mean, we talk her up so much I think the power sits in her hands so she can do whatever the hell she wants and she'll always be a wanted coach. And as we talk about coaches a shout out to Rob Wright, who we know lost his mum over the weekend. And for those that don't know, Rob's mum moved to Melbourne with him yes. um, and and she's been a huge part of the Magpies team. She's at training all the time. She loves her netball. She listened to all the podcasts. (laughs) You know, she's just one of those ladies that had so much respect from all the girls. Mm. So you could see how emotional it was for all of them to get out there. And obviously we haven't seen Rob coaching the last couple of weeks, but um, we just, you know, pay our respects to Nome as she was known and to Rob Wright
2: and hopefully him and his family are going okay. Absolutely. We send our best wishes their way. Let's get into it be because we've got some great chats ahead first up though is the new south wales swifts captain is she still the captain perhaps it's maddie proud let's (laughs) ask her all about it just after this welcome back to the inner circle podcast now we mentioned before the break be that we are very lucky to have maddie proud from the new south wales swifts on the line maddie thanks so much for joining us
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Now, we, I've warned you, there's going to be a lot of knee <laughs> chat, so I, I hope same you're ready for it. How many times a day do you get asked about that knee of yours? Yeah,
0: and I have the same answer every single time as well. Slow and steady wins the race, that's what we say.
1: <laughs> so, can you, we really want to find out and get an insight into, I guess, the nitty-gritty of it all, you know, from mm-hmm. the moment you did it to, you know, what happens and, and probably what was the most surprising thing that you
2: realised?
0: Yeah, I guess the the funniest part for me was that when you did it, it actually wasn't that bad. If that makes sense, that like the initial, you know, impact injury was horrible, sort of the most pain I've felt ever for about thirty seconds. Um, And then it sort of all goes away. I mean, I was there thinking I was stuck to the ground, was never going to be able to get off the court, they were going to have to cancel the game, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Very dramatic. Um, And then after about 30 seconds, something just changes and, you know, you you can walk off the court. um, You can kind of do everything that's almost normal, other than obviously, you know, it's a little bit stiff and a little bit sore and that. Um, And then even leading up to surgery, I sort of had surgery a week after it happened. Um, and you're riding a bike, you're walking around normally, you're in the gym trying to get it strong. Um, All that sort of thing was what probably surprised me the most in that, um, yeah, I guess normal people can probably live without an ACL because obviously it's the change of direction stuff that um, you need it for. So being able to actually do a lot more things straight after the initial injury um, was pretty surprising. But then obviously once you have the surgery, that's when it goes to, you know, being on crutches for a few weeks and you kind of start to have to learn how to walk again, but um, so that's when I guess the hard part really begins. But yeah, I guess the biggest surprise is that, you know, initial pre-surgery phase. Some people wait months or, um, you know, a lot of times get um, surgery so they can kind of go about their normal day-to-day business for a little while before they get it done.
1: We, you know, you said about the kind of pre-surgery phase. Why is it important to strengthen your muscles around it before you go in and have the reconstruction?
0: They say that I think obviously the stronger you can go into the surgery, the stronger you'll come out because... Um, one thing I've learned is that you lose muscle like crazy. I look like I was, you know, walking around with a peg leg straight (laughs) after, um, because it just goes immediately. They say something about how, you know, a shotgun full of fluid can, um, lead to, you know, 50% of inhibition of your legs So, um, I think you'd obviously the more muscle and the more strength that you can have before you go in, um, the less you're probably going to lose after that. So, I mean, for me and probably for other girls that are playing professional sport, you're pretty lucky that because you're in the gym a lot of the time, you can pretty much go in straight away, but, I know you know, one of my housemates, her sister, had it done at 17 and had to wait you know, four months just because she was so young and didn't have much muscle. So um, from what I know, um, I think it's mainly just about, yeah, getting that strength up before you go in.
2: Prior to the injury happening, Maddie, was there any indication for you at all? No, nothing.
0: I mean, you've seen the way I play. I fall over a million times a day. And again, <laughs> again, there's, you know, body flying everywhere. I didn't have yeah, any feeling in me at all. And that's actually a funny part about it as well is that, when they went in, they found that I'd done my meniscus as well, um, and they weren't actually sure if that was from the time of you know the actual ACL injury or whether I'd had that beforehand. But I had no pain whatsoever. I'd done a meniscus in my other knee, you know, four or five years earlier, and the same thing. I played on it for months, so I don't know whether I've just got really weak meniscus or I'm just really tough that I never noticed. It, so. <laughs> <Same> <laughs> they time. don't know whether that might have you know you know they're having that tear. Whether it was you know done in the same game but a few plays earlier or a week earlier or something like that, we'll never know. But um, that's the only little thing that maybe could have contributed. But otherwise, you know, I felt a million bucks. I felt like I was moving pretty well and, um, yeah, didn't have any sort of indication that something like that was going to happen.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, for watching on, it is an interesting one. And, you know, we've um, asked a question on Twitter too about uh, what people are interested in. There's a few things coming back um, from different angles, but one is – um around that why like why is this happening and was were you feeling tired or was there a change in your program or anything like that or is it just completely out of the blue yeah i mean for me it was the only
0: little thing was that i had maybe the like a bit of a cold leading into that game. Like, as in I'm talking, maybe had to blow my own white nose once. Like, it wasn't a big thing, um, but I sort of felt like, you know, maybe that was coming on. But even in terms of fatigue and that, I mean, I was playing the attack, whereas normally I, you know, not normally, but in previous years I've played centre. In terms of fitness, I felt probably the fittest I've felt. Um, The funniest part about it as well is that even we actually had to watch the game the other day because we're about to play the Firebirds, and I made the same move when I did my knee a million times.
2: Yeah, you did because I was trying, I looked at it trying to find that footage, and I thought, this is it. Oh, no, no, that wasn't it. Oh, no, this one, no. (laughs) I was
0: the same. I was bracing myself every time I caught the ball. Um, so, yeah, in terms of that, and for me, you know, it was around seven. It wasn't like it was the end of the year. Um, it wasn't like, you know, we'd had a shorter turnaround that week. It wasn't like mm-hmm. my load had increased at all. You know, I, I had a corky two weeks earlier or something that meant that one week I missed, you know, one session of training. But, you know, our um, our physio and our training conditioning is so, like, to the T with numbers about, you know, getting your right amount of loading in so that you're not doing too much one week and not enough the other week. So... Um yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I almost just believe it's like, almost if it's going to go, it's going to go. It's just a matter of at what point and what time is it kind of, are you destined to do one once in your lifetime? And I was just unlucky that that was it. Or, you know, who knows, there could be a big, you know, scientific reason behind it, particularly after obviously what happened on the weekend with um, two, potentially three going in one.
1: Oh, how does that make you feel when you see that footage, especially of you know, oh. Kelsey doing hers?
0: Yeah, it was horrible, especially because our game. I actually got emotional. I had, like, got a bit teary when I saw it happen, just because you kind of know, um, exactly how it feels. And I think for Kelsey as well, it was the fact that Maddie had done hers and her mum was in i we'd seen her mum earlier. And I actually had had a conversation with Kelsey before the game. She was telling me how Maddie was sending her best and we were actually talking about knees before the game. So, mm. um, yeah, that was very hard sort of, I'm sure for a lot of other people to see and then obviously the next day for Sasha who's another girl that I have to know through being from Adelaide um that was hard as well so yeah that's probably what makes you think maybe there is something going on when there's so many and you've had so many times where there, you know last year I think there was only one with MJ so Again, is it just bad luck or is is there another reason
1: behind it? I don't know. And that's something that I think you quite often hear about behind the scenes and and not that you ever want to be part of it, but there is a bit of an ACL club where everyone in the sport who has done it before tend to reach out and support the next person that's going through it. I've often heard of stories like that where other players are reaching out to other players and other teams because you know exactly what each other are going through. Um, You've spoken a lot about the physical part of it all. Can you... Can you give us an insight into mentally how you're feeling, you know, from when you do it to then, you know, you've had your surgery and now you're starting your rehab? How has that been for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously like the initial, like, I was pretty devastated. I was obviously visibly crying and all that. And you sort of, you know, everything flashes through your mind, but all the preseason you've done, the fact that your season's over, that for us, you know, we're sitting top of the ladder, you know, I'm not going to play for another year. That sort of, all that stuff is pretty shattering and kind of always hard to come to terms with, Um but then I was pretty lucky. Like, I kind of got to pretty good spirits pretty early, I think, obviously having such a good team around me. And I, you know, lived with a lot of the girls um, and sort of constantly being around people. For me, that was huge. Um, a lot of people said to me, you know, are you going to go home to Adelaide? Are you going to get the surgery there and be with your family? Um, but for me, like, being here was the best thing for me because, as I said, you're around people all the time. You almost don't have time to kind of wallow in self-pity because you've got someone to kind of pick you up. Um, in that moment. I mean, I'm not going to lie, there's been days where it's been horrible. I had a, a day where I was trying to find a coat hanger and um, the only spare coat hanger I had was where my dress was hanging and I kind of realised I'm not going to need that anymore and so sort of chucked that up into the back of the cupboard and um, <laughs> that was a pretty a pretty tough one to have to do. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of a rollercoaster. You sort of had days where your rehab progresses really well and, you know, you have that day where you can first start walking normally and you have that day where you can, you know, start doing a bit more in the gym and those things kind of keep your spirits tied. But then, you know, you have other days where it pulls up sore for no reason and you just are in a bad mood the whole day just because you're (laughs) sort of pissed off that that's going on. So, um, yeah, I think I've luckily been in pretty good spirits because I've had good people around me. But, yeah,
1: it's something
0: that definitely sort of messes a bit with your emotions and that you have the highest of highs and then you sort of drop down and have to kind of pick yourself up again.
1: I asked Sherelle before when she was out with her Achilles for 12 months just Mm. how you integrate yourself back within the team and you know we often see you sitting there on the bench is that a role that you wanted to play is it something the coaches kind of spoke to you about where you can fit in and how you can still be a part of it all?
0: Yeah it was sort of a bit of both it was kind of I think as soon as I did it we sort of had that conversation that I still want to be involved as much as possible I think you know there's been other girls that have done it and have kind of wanted to remove themselves from that because it's too hard but for me, it was like I was captain of the team. It was halfway through the season. I sort of felt like I'd played my role in getting us to where we are now. So um, I wanted to get yeah, sort of, again, be involved as much as possible. So I think it was a couple of days after I had a chat with just the girls, saying that, you know, I didn't want people training on eggshells around me. I still wanted to be involved. I wanted to be able to help out in as much way as possible. Um, And then the coaches obviously decided that they wanted me to um, travel with the team, obviously, if I wanted to, um, which I was pretty excited to do because, again, living in Sydney and not being at home, if the girls were left, I'd be sitting at home by myself, which probably would have been a bit harder. Um, So being able to do that and still play that role, um, I guess, you know, sort of a coaching capacity, but probably just a bit of a mentoring and still just doing that captaincy sort of role. Um, I think it's helped me. It's been a really good distraction, and um, particularly, you know, the season that we've been having, I wanted to be able to stay involved as much as I could. So um, I think, you know, obviously once the season finishes and the off-season comes, that's when it will be a bit harder trying to, you know, obviously do things on my own. Um, And, you know, it's not easy watching by any means, but at least I still feel like I can um, contribute in some way.
2: Well, we will actually ask you about the Swiss more generally in a moment. But I think for for those people listening to this podcast, a lot of them are playing netball um, at the social level or the grassroots level. And I, and I think it's a really important point that you make that um, – you know, ha- having an involvement in a team sport and, and with a club is really important for people and how they feel connected with that. And when, when people get injured, sometimes finding their role in that can be really tricky. And so your story is a great one in how the club has embraced what you are able to mm. bring. And I think it's a really good reminder or lesson for people that when these sort of things do happen, finding a way to keep people engaged is is really important, not not just for the individual, but also for the club itself. No, team.
0: absolutely. I, I just pretend I'm sitting on the bench and haven't actually been selected to be on the court. That's my way. Of, I'm, just, I'm just not in form at the moment. That's why Grani hasn't put me on this. <laughs> so you trick yourself.
1: <laughs> uh, you must be pretty excited, though, to see what the season that the Swiss have had. I mean, you could see glimpses of it last year, just constantly building and getting better and playing better as a team and combinations out there on court. And this year, you've just all taken it to the next level. I mean, a bit of a slip up on the weekend but I still think (laughs) you're going into this final series in amazing form and I think we all sit back and admire the team that you are because you seem so connected and so close and Bryony Aikles seems pretty inspirational as a coach.
0: Yeah definitely I think you're right like we sort of have had all the ingredients for the last probably few years but it's just been putting it all together and um, this year it just sort of seems to click for us. I think obviously the fact that we have had the majority of our team together for nearly three years now has definitely helped us. We've been able to grow and experience and connections and everything like that. And we had a really good pre-season. We sort of changed the language that we were using, you know, saying that it wasn't good enough to just kind of be that young young and inexperienced team that we actually want to come out and win the whole competition. And even just having that self-belief and those sort of standards that we weren't going to accept anything less than that Um that's really set us up for what our season has been. But, yeah, you're right. The the connections and the sort of relationships that we do have has been you know, key for us. We always talked about the fact that having those tough conversations and pulling each other up on things are never as hard when you actually have good relationships with people. And the fact that we're all each other's best friends or each other's family here in Sydney, um, that makes all of that a lot easier. And then when it comes to game time, it's like you sort of know each other like the back of your hand. So I think that even showed particularly when we've had so many injuries in these last few weeks that... The fact that people have been able to come in pretty seamlessly. We saw Katrina Rory come in, um, you know, came in on a Thursday and played on a Sunday. Um, the sort of culture that we've been able to develop has meant that, you know, anyone that comes in feels welcome and does feel part of that family. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to be hopefully a key to our success for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, certainly not a bad replacement, having Katrina <laughs> Rory being, being able we to come in. Struck, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Maddie, how do you say her surname? Well, that okay. leads to roll, <laughs> roll, roll. Oh, well done, well done, and and I actually I don't, I don't sorry, go Maddie. I just I don't
0: actually think that's right. I'm just playing with it. <laughs> I think
2: you're pretty close, actually. But I do Absolutely. think it's a mark of a really good team. Um, we've seen it with some AFL teams, too. More recently, Collingwood had a significant amount of injuries last year where we were just able to overcome that. So it's certainly a strength. I'm just interested in, you know, we see Bryony Akel on the on the side of the court. She <laughs> always seems very positive. She's just re-signed with the club for two more years. Um tell us about what she's like as a coach and does she ever get yeah. annoyed at you or yeah. angry? No, <laughs> <laughs>
0: does she does she's a smiling assassin sometimes Um, but no particularly at training and even you know in the changes to the game on the weekend she um, just like demands that from us and everyone you know when she's talking she demands that respect as well and the way that she's been able to do that is like what we said about the team is that she you know builds relationships she's a mum of four boys and um, she has that sort of mothering nature about her and you know the whole team goes around to their house for dinners um, throughout the week we love her her husband we love her kids Um, so just you know she She likes us as people and she always said that she, you know, wants to pick good people and then turn them into good players as well. So um, I think having that real focus on on those relationships and that's what, you know, develops the trust that we have in her and that she has in us. And so, you know, when she does speak, you you know that it's coming from a good place, and that means that, you know, if... And it's, it's not that often, but if she does put a rocket up you, you know that it's, it's all coming from a, a place of love because she wants the best out of all of us. So, um, yeah, she's been amazing for the Swift, and she's been sort of key to that culture that we've been able to develop in these last two years, um, you know, of making sure that we're accountable and we pull each other up on things, but then, you know, also making sure we have a lot of fun along the way, which we, we definitely do do.
1: <laughs> now, one of the questions on Twitter was around sometimes when you have a... Yeah, injury-like that you've gone through, that there is often positives that do come out of it. I'm not sure if you're at the stage yet where <laughs> you can find the positives, but I wanted to pump up some of the stuff that you do off the court because you've <laughs> written a book, you have a podcast, I wrote a book, and surely now you've got a bit more time to invest in that side of your life now that you can't actually get out there on court. Yeah, you're
0: right. Actually, I, I made a website when I have um, just after as well with Emily Beaton um an old friend of mine and just sort of to be able to plug all those sorts of things and I actually even started writing a blog um, with that and my first blog post was about that and about you know how it does create opportunities um you know to you know affect other parts of your life and be able to spend a bit more time in that. So um, yeah what's the website? Writing... Oh so it's just called maddieproud.com dot com. So it's just got like you can buy my book on it and you can um read my blog, you can go to the podcast. It's a bit of a one stop shop if you know Oh, everything. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah doing little things like that, and obviously investing a bit more in um, the book and the podcast and writing the second book, which I've just finished, and so now it's into getting that one published. Um, But then even from a netball side of things, I think – like the coaching side, I've always kind of been that person that was, you know, a lot of fun to be around and like to be liked and um, you know, it's not that it's turned me harsher but it's been able to make me see a different side of it and how, you know, when you're on the coaching bench it is um, like pretty cut through and the decisions that have to be made are so fast and you know, anything can happen at any moment that almost being able to sit on that opposite side of it I think is really going to help me when I do come back onto the court um, and make you sort of almost take some of the emotion out of it sometimes and um, realise that you just have to get your job done when you are on the court. But, yeah, a lot more time to kind of focus on things outside of netball, develop things, I guess, away from being actually on the court. So, um, you know, hopefully I do... When I, when I do come back, it's, um, you know, I'm better for it in a lot of parts
2: of my life. Well Maddie, there's no doubt that each of our experiences positive or negative helped to shape us and um, your outlook is incredible and we thank you very very much for the time that you spent with us this morning. I think you've given us some really great insights into to what it's like and what your experiences have been like and just as another reminder that podcast is I wrote a book which you record <laughs> with Sophie Garvin so everyone if you're looking for more uh, content from our netballers you can jump on that and check it out as well. Thanks again Maddie, and all the best for what's to come over the next next month or so. No, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Maddie Proud, there from the New South Wales Swifts. Welcome back to the Inner Circle Podcast. We are now very lucky after hearing about things from the athlete's perspective from Maddie Proud to have. Steve Hawkins on the line he has uh, been a part of netball for many many years uh, has been a part of the diamonds program for a long time and now is the lead physiotherapist at the VIS and the head physiotherapist at the Melbourne Vixen. Steve I think I got that (laughs) all right thanks so much for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having
2: me on. Um, both Bianca and I have had a long relationship with you and you've helped us through many uh, different injuries. as we Had we've to be- put up with us. You've had to put up <laughs> with us. I'm sure we've been painful in many, many ways. But um, we wanted to chat to you because um, there's been a little bit of commentary, particularly on the back of the weekend's round of matches where there were seemingly three significant knee injuries, two confirmed ACLs. Just to get a bit of an insight as to... Is there more this year? Because it feels like perhaps there is. Is that actually true?
3: Well, it depends a little bit on what your point of reference is. So if we compare this year to the 2018 season, then yes, there has been an increase in the number of anterior cruciate ligament injuries that people have sustained in season. But if you look at it as an an overall trend, and we go back a long time now, back into, um, and I'm about to show my and both of your ages here in relation to Netball, (laughs) back into Commonwealth Bank Trophy days, when we used to keep our injury stats on pieces of paper and have to manually count them up at the end of each season, then the truth is that the overall trend is actually very gradually decreasing uh, over the past sort of 20 years or so in terms of number of injuries per season.
2: I know it's potentially difficult, but to compare to other elite level sports that females are playing?
3: That is quite a difficult thing for us to do. The challenge that we have is that we're not necessarily comparing apples with apples. The way that injury data is recorded to try and, uh, and bridge that challenge, uh, rather than just recording the straight number of injuries, what we need to do is have a reference point for that. So the way that the epidemiologists, the people who study the incidence of injuries and and how we can kind of track their progress over time, uh, how they go about that is they talk about injuries relative to exposure. For example, if I've got uh, 10 netball players training for 10 hours a week and they suffer five injuries, uh, compared to another team who has got 20 netballers uh, training for 20 hours a week who suffer five injuries then the injury rates between those two groups, even though the number of injuries is the same, the injury rates are actually quite different. Yeah, it's a good Um, way to put it. One group has twice as many players who are doing twice as much training compared to the other. So we've got to be a little bit careful in how we compare across sports um, because that does uh, potentially get skewed a little bit if we're not taking some of that extra information into place. If we go back to CBT days, the average that we used to have Um, in the old Phoenix and Kestrels days was one ACL injury per club per season. Um, Now, if you extrapolate that forward now, you would sit there and say, well, that would equal then, whether we like it or not, eight ACLs across a season um, in the competition. So far this year, we've had six, uh, three in 2018, five in 2017. So the trend actually across an extended period of time is gradually decreasing. This year, what's happened, and I think what tends to... Um, alert people's attention a little bit more is one of two things. Uh, The first thing is when injuries happen in clusters and certainly the weekend we'd have to classify as that. The second component um, is uh, then looking at the profile of the athlete that's being injured. When someone very unfortunately like Kelsey Brown uh, and Sasha Glasgow, two key players, bigger names in the competition, certainly more important players for their respective clubs, Um, suffer injuries the injury is no more or less severe the outcome for the individual is no more or less tragic it's equally tragic for every individual who suffers a significant injury like this but we pay a bit more attention to it because it might have a little bit more of an impact on the performance of that club
1: so we've seen you know obviously all the research that has been done what has been put in place then over the last 20 years to get it going on a downhill scale
3: yeah, they probably the two most significant things and, and the two of you would be well aware of this. Um, first of all is the amount of effort and time and resources devoted to strength and conditioning and physical preparation of athletes to play. These days, it's clearly a much more professional competition. There's um, staff who are employed full-time to prepare the strength and conditioning programs, sports scientists to monitor uh, the load, fatigue levels, Sleep patterns, injuries uh, and injury progressions, return to play uh, expectations and so forth. So, so that's one very significant thing which has changed over time. That first component ends up with two outcomes. Number one is we see athletes who are much better prepared, physically fitter, stronger, more powerful. Um, but also, uh, therefore, able to potentially perform in a way which is higher speed, higher velocity, higher power. Uh, which does carry with it, if we're really honest, a slightly increased risk for injury. So that then leads us to the second component of what we put in place, which is more the neuromuscular retraining programs. And the Netball Knee program, which which I know both of you are aware of and and is gradually becoming a a resource that more and more people are aware of in the wider Netball community, that was a a program that was kind of formalised into its current format on the back of a whole lot of work that... Um, A few of us across different franchises had been doing uh, probably eight to ten years ago trying to extrapolate some of the research that was coming out of America with women's basketball and some of the research that was coming out of Europe with regards to women's handball and looking at the different uh, preventative programs that were being put in place to try and get people's brains activating their muscles in more effective patterns to be able to absorb the high forces and high impact loads associated with sudden stops, quick direction change, pivoting movements, the exact sort of things that we see on a netball court.
1: And that's available online, isn't it, Steve? So for any netballer out there, whether they're recreational, social players to the elite, that's available online and there's something for them?
3: It is. And, and the program is free of charge. It, it, it costs nothing, is, is freely available online. Um, Nepal Australia um, manage that that side of the program.
2: Yeah, and it's an important thing to note too that these players playing at the elite level, that is a huge focus and a big part of what they do every day and particularly when they're going out on court. You've kind of touched a little bit on the whys uh, that these injuries are happening. One of the questions that kind of came through quite strongly on Twitter when we put it out there was around these sorts of injuries specifically to females and how much of a role gender plays and how much of a role the menstrual cycle plays and the hormones um, that females are dealing with um, and as opposed to our male counterparts.
3: So we know um, if we look back at the research, and again this is research which is not netball specific, this Mm. is research which is based across male and female athletes in a broad number of different sports, That depending on the research project that you read females are about four to eight times more likely to suffer a significant lower limb joint injury than males performing the same task now we we don't have that accurate comparison between male and females in netball uh, male and females uh, playing netball um, partly because we don't yet have the scope to monitor injuries in men's netball um, to the extent that we do in in females and partly because there's just purely not enough men playing in men-only competitions yet for those statistics to actually even be vaguely worthwhile. The differences kind of broadly fall into three main categories. The first category is pure strength-based, that male athletes have greater muscle mass, uh, are therefore stronger, and are therefore more able to physically withstand the forces that are being placed on their body compared to their more lightly framed female counterparts. The second thought process relates to biomechanics, we know that a female body shape um, anatomically is different to a male body shape and then the third component is the hormonal component and this is research that's a little bit more recent looking at changes in soft, a concept that's referred to as soft tissue stiffness. Um, at different times of a normal, regular menstrual cycle.
2: One of the other things that um, has been spoken about too is the physicality of the game at the moment. There are more collisions, and you've alluded to that a little bit with the training that the girls do, um, and so that they're probably flying closer to to that limit. Do you feel like there's anything in that that is uh, impacting these injuries?
3: When we look at at any musculoskeletal injury in any sporting context we kind of broadly classify them into two groups. What we refer to as intrinsic injuries and non-intrinsic injuries. The non-intrinsic or extrinsic injuries are the ones where an external force gets applied to somebody's body which is the cause of the injury. So for example that might be uh, Bianca and Charelle Sh- and competing for a rebound uh, under the goalpost. Charelle lands on, <laughs> lands on uh, Bianca's foot. Yeah, because she uh, got under and,
2: my landing space. <laughs> and, and,
3: and then rolls, and then rolls her ankle. So that that would be classified as an extrinsic um, injury or a non-intrinsic injury. And those ones, from a sporting context perspective, from from a physio point of view, from a strength conditioning point of view, those ones are effectively unpreventable. Um, Unless we significantly change the rules of the game or the way that it's umpired, we can't really do much to prevent those injuries from happening. The intrinsic ones, which are the ones that are of much more interest to us, are the ones where people manage to injure themselves all by themselves. Mm. And unfortunately, if we look at Kelsey Brown's injury on the weekend, that's a classic textbook example of an intrinsic injury. Yeah. She wasn't contacted. She wasn't pushed. She, she wasn't kind of forced um, with any external force other than her attempt to catch the ball Um that then her landing control mechanisms unfortunately have failed and allowed uh, her knee to buckle into the position that we all saw and which makes everyone's, mine included, stomachs turn um, and uh, and we see her collapse to the ground and clutch at her knee straight away. So if we go back to the question about physicality of the game, the intrinsic injuries theoretically are not really significantly impacted by the physicality of the game. We, We might be able to argue that a a game which is more physical perhaps leads players to be a little bit more fatigued or tired towards the end of the game, and maybe that puts them more at risk of an intrinsic injury occurring. Um, But when we see the majority of these ACL injuries being non-contact or intrinsic injuries, then physicality of the game doesn't really have a massive factor to play there.
2: Yeah, well, and, and that is an interesting one and one that kind of a, a few people have been talking about too, that there's that physicality, but then actually not many of these injuries are happening with that because body contact. That. So thank you so much, Steve, for giving us that insight um, on a number of different levels. It's really great um, to have someone of your experience and knowledge chatting us through all that. Thank you very much for joining us. Steve Hawkins from the VIS and the Melbourne Vixens Netball Club. <laughs> Well, that was another great chat about a very different angle on ACLs and hopefully it's given people some insights because there has been a lot of questioning around why things are happening with these injuries.
1: And what Steve makes me realise is there's so much that none of us really understand. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes and has for a very long time that all the medical staff do things for a reason, not just, you know, on a whim that, you know, things are happening. So I think uh, we've got to appreciate the expertise that we have around us as netballers
2: and very clearly it is not a simple equation to say that <laughs> oh we're getting more acl injuries yes. it's not quite that simple people so um we'll keep a very close eye on it and as i said it's making me nervous touch this wood this. this conversation so we're touching every piece of wood that we can in the studio here be we've had a bit of a look forward to round 14 and it is going to be an exciting one it will absolutely shape what the finals look like Uh, have come next week so I very much look (laughs) forward to chatting to you about that next week it's getting exciting we'll see you all next week okay thanks guys